Hello, everyone. This is Fire Chief Paul Dow with Albuquerque Fire Rescue. Now, this podcast is designed to bring you helpful training and best practices and some additional resources that you can access from anywhere. So thank you for joining us and enjoy today's episode. Alarm 2, Engine 22, Rescue 22, Engine 22, Rescue 22. Please respond to 7440 Jim McDowell Road Northwest. 24 Delta 1, got a 24-year-old female, imminent delivery. That's imminent delivery. 7440 Jim McDowell Road Northwest, 24 Delta 1, Engine 22, Rescue 22. Firebox is 22-6429. 24-year-old female, imminent delivery, Engine 22, Rescue 22. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the AFR podcast. This is going to be part two of our OB emergencies. So, Dr. Pruitt, we're going to pick up right where we left off. All right. Our last one, we talked about some complications of pregnancy in the first and second trimester. And now we're getting into uh, actually delivering that baby. So can you talk about the normal delivery process? Okay, um, so normal delivery would be that the lady feels that she's having contractions. They're getting more severe, more painful, and closer in timing. Um, those contractions, what they do is they start to dilate the cervix, which is basically the way the baby's gonna exit the body. Um, the cervix starts to thin out and open, when, and that's referred to as cervical dilation. And typically, when dilation is complete, it will be about 10 centimeters, enough to fit the baby's head through. Um, and at this point, she's gonna feel a need to push. Um, she'll be able to articulate that. The contractions are very severe, very close together, and they're lasting a fair amount of time. Okay, so just a ballpark, like, what are the, you know, the interval between contractions, the length of contractions where we're like, starting to think this is going to happen pretty soon. I start to feel like this is going to happen as they're getting closer to like two minutes apart, lasting about 30 to 45 seconds. Okay. One of the key things to look for there is if the, the membranes have ruptured or her water has broken. Um, that's another sign of, could be another sign of impending delivery. So, And then as she dilates, as the contractions become more forceful, she, she feels the need to push. Um, then the rest just happens naturally and normally 95% of the time in the rest of the world without any help. Um, the head will typically develop, uh, deliver first, and then the anterior shoulder, and then the posterior shoulder, and then the rest of the baby's body will just come right out. Okay, so if we're on this call and we're dispatched out to 24 Delta and these contractions are... Like you said, two minutes apart, they last about 50 seconds each time there's a contraction and we see some crowning upon inspection and we decide we're just going to deliver right there. I think that's a good decision. You have a lot more control over your environment, probably a little more room to maneuver in, in that current setting, assuming it's you know warm and safe and everything else, um, to just stay there and deliver. Go ahead and do the delivery there. Okay. And can you walk us through? A little refresher on uh, what do we need to know? What are the, what are the, the down and dirty for so, us to remember about that? About delivering, delivering a, baby. a baby. So I'm always relieved if this is a lady you've never met before and say she has unknown prenatal care. It's always a little bit of a relief to see crowning and see a baby's head there instead of a foot, right? So then you're like, okay, this is going normally so far. Really all you need to do at that point is gently guide the head out as much as you can and then kind of as the head starts to deliver and you see more of the face, you pull down towards the floor a little bit more. 
and that's going to help get the anterior shoulder out and that that shoulder is near mom's pubic symphysis so you're just kind of pulling down helping helping baby get through the bony architecture of the pelvis there and pretty much as soon as you get that shoulder out that's the next widest part of the baby and the rest should just follow naturally after that it happens pretty quickly yeah now what if that shoulder is getting stuck and it's not coming the way you make it seem so easy so easy um so that's something called shoulder dystocia and this is probably the most common obstetric emergency or delivery emergency you'll see in the field this is usually a consequence of either a very large baby or a very small mother and it's really related to gestational diabetes so in your diabetic moms or the ones with gestational diabetes, you might ask if they know how big the estimated weight of the baby's gonna be. If you're starting to push nine or 10 pounds, this is where I start to really get worried that shoulder dystocia might occur. And things you can do to help deliver that baby if you're in a situation where you need to deliver it now would be to really pull the mom's knees back towards her shoulder. So what that's gonna do is open the pelvis even more and allow that large baby to be delivered a little more easily. That's called the McRoberts maneuver. And it helps if you have a couple extra sets of hands to hold her knees back as far back as, as she can tolerate. And the next move there, if, you've, if you're worried about shoulder dystocia, would be to just over the mother's pubic symphysis, really the problem is the shoulder is getting caught on the bony part of the pelvis. And what you wanna do is just not put uterine pressure. You don't wanna push on the uterus, but you wanna push just over the brim of that pelvic bone in the front and try to push that shoulder into where you're collapsing the chest of the baby together and help get those shoulders out. Okay. <laughs> We're not gonna go over any kind of uh, neonatal resuscitation, but at least like once that date, uh, baby is delivered, you know, what other steps do we need to do before we give the baby to the, to the mother? So the baby still is connected to the placenta, right? So it's got the umbilical cord. So I try to, after delivering a baby, bring the baby down just a little bit lower than the level of the placenta because that's the connection with the blood flow. And you're gonna be able to give them a little bit more blood before you cut the cord. And you wanna clamp, obviously, on two sides, on the mom's side and on the baby's side, and then cut in between. And about six inches away from the, from the baby? From the baby. Okay, yeah, so clamp twice, cut, and then at that point, um, can you just go ahead and give the baby to the mother is there any i remember uh learning different things about suctioning at, at different points um if baby is vigorous and has good tone and is crying or starting to pink up um that's a baby i would give to mom okay so give the baby to the mom and then now we still have the placenta worry about mm -hmm. yeah so um now you just can wait on placental delivery um that can take several minutes, up to 15 minutes, sometimes 30 minutes after delivery. Um, important thing is not to pull because you can cause, if you pull too much on the placenta, it can tear and that can lead to postpartum hemorrhage. And so it will deliver on its own and the mom will be able to tell you she'll feel another contraction, probably not as severe as what she felt with the delivery of the baby, but she'll be able to feel um, the delivery of the placenta and you'll see typically what you'll see is that the the cord that's left will start to elongate and there might be a little rush of blood maybe a couple teaspoons 
full of blood and then you'll feel it give and then it'll just naturally deliver. Okay. And what are some things that we can do to speed this up if it's taking too long? If you feel like it's taking too long or she's having more bleeding than you're comfortable with, you can start to initiate breastfeeding with the baby. What that's going to do is um, release some oxytocin, which is a, it'll help contract the uterus and force that placenta out. The other thing you can do is from the exterior start to massage her uterus. So push pretty hard on her abdomen and try to get that uterus to clamp down and expel the placenta. Okay. And then when do we worry that we need to uh, go code three to the hospital? Um, if mom or baby looks unstable, so if she's having more bleeding than you're comfortable with, um, which really after the baby's delivered, there shouldn't be a lot. Um, so if she's dripping or oozing a profound amount, there's a, usually that's due to uterine atony. So you want to try to have the baby feed if baby's vigorous and mom can handle it and then keep doing that uterine massage. If her vital signs start to get unstable, uh, low blood pressure, she remains tachycardic, um, anything concerning, I'd go back code three. Okay. And then if we do deliver the placenta, put that in a, in a bag and yeah, you bring wanna, it to the hospital? You want to be sure to save that. Um, they're going to want to look, like I mentioned before, they're going to want to make sure that it's intact and not any missing pieces. Because if anything happened to rip or tear and is still inside, that can lead to significant bleeding or even infectious risk a little bit later for the mother. Okay. So that that is the process of, uh, say, a typical delivery now there are some complications that can happen um, you talked about the shoulder dystocia already um, what if what if instead of being full term the water breaks at say 32 weeks so that's really early um, if you're called to that scene I would still ask my four OB questions like when did your water break how long has it been broken are you feeling contractions are you feeling fetal movement and are you having any vaginal bleeding? And those will kind of help paint the picture whether she's in labor or whether her water just broke because those are two very different entities. If, if you get there and it doesn't seem like she's in labor, she still needs to go to the hospital because once that bag of water has broken, now what used to be a sterile environment is no longer sterile and it's communicating with the outside world and is very prone to infection. Uh, infection for the mother and infection for the baby. So um, she'll need to be monitored closely. Okay. And then uh, with those preterm deliveries, how has the uh, outcomes of those babies progressed over the last, uh, say, 20 years? Oh, man. Um, it's come leaps and bounds in terms of neonatal um, care. I think now there's some babies that are living that were born at 26 weeks. So, um, of course, you know, you want to keep them in as long as you can. So up to, to 35 weeks is considered full term. Um, but if you have this lady who, say she ruptured at 32 weeks, probably what they'll do is admit her to the hospital, watch her closely, do active fetal monitoring, and then kind of wait until she develops signs and symptoms of infection and then deliver baby. What that does is buys them some time to give her steroids so it can help with the fetal lung development so baby will be that much more ready for the outside world when they're born. And if we're with that patient and we feel there's a imminent delivery, then we just go through with that no matter what. There's no trying to uh, delay that. 
um, or anything, right? No, if, if there's an imminent delivery, there's imminent delivery and you don't have a lot of control over that. What I would encourage you to do is just recognize that this is early and there might be, um, you might need to go down your neonatal resuscitation algorithms. I would call for extra help be set up for a little bit more of an aggressive resuscitation. I guess the bright side of an early delivery would be you probably aren't going to have to deal with shoulder dystocia because <laughs> the baby's going to be small. Yeah, but that's a good point about the uh, resources. Maybe would you think maybe another engine and rescue if, we, if you know we have two patients and we want to make sure we have enough hands for both of those patients yeah, i think it depends on your comfort level with your team you can if you're comfortable delegating responsibilities um, and you have enough paramedics on scene um, you might be able to to handle that with with your normal complement of a rescue and an engine and maybe a 5-5 crew um, but if you do anticipate that this is going to be difficult and you have time to get extra hands i i don't think it'd be wrong to consider but you i think as the as the person in charge of that scene going into it, if you delegate early, who's going to resuscitate baby, who's going to resuscitate mom, and have clearly defined roles for everybody, you could probably manage it with the people you have on scene. Okay. All right. So let's uh, let's do a couple more scenarios with a full-term patient. But when we go to uh, do our inspection to see if there's any crowning, we see a prolapse cord. Uh Okay. Um, well, if you recognize a cord when you're checking for impending delivery, um, realize that this is the baby's lifeline. And so probably what's happening is that or the thing that would be feared is that that cord is going to somehow be cut off or kinked or tamponaded where the blood flow is interrupted. And so what you need to do there is actually this is the one time where you would insert two fingers into the vagina try to usually it's pushed against the baby's head so try to lift the presenting part with two fingers to where you feel the cord behind your hand and the presenting part on the top part of your hand so that you can restore pulsatility in that cord and continue the blood flow to the baby okay so you're trying to keep the head from compressing the umbilical cord yes okay. yeah and once you do that, you should be able to feel that pulse, the pulsatility in the cord, but try not to move your fingers. So try to keep that presenting part, usually the head, off of the cord enough so you continue to feel the pulse. And you're probably gonna have to hold that position that you're in all the way to the operating room. Okay, and is there a certain positioning that can help during uh, the situation? Yeah, so you can use gravity to your advantage as well. Um, if you want, you could try to flip mom on her hands and knees to move the um, the baby more towards the higher part of her abdomen where it's not sitting in the pelvis as deeply and might relieve some pressure on the cord. Okay. All right, so that's what we're going to do for the cord prolapse. Now, if we have a, there's a couple different kinds of breach presentations. What are some different things that you've seen before or um, heard of? Footling breach, um, frank breach. Basically, breach is just a fancy way to say there's parts of the baby that are coming out other first other than the baby's head. 
Um, and in the pre-hospital setting, there's not a lot we can do about that other than try to help guide the baby out and get mom to the hospital as soon as possible. So if you do show up on scene and you see a foot or you see a buttock or a thigh um, or a hand, that's a lady I would load and go and just take to the hospital because she might need surgery or some more advanced maneuvers. So you're going to continue with the delivery in route to the hospital and hopefully get to the hospital and can hand it off prior to that happening. Yes. Um, now, what do you do if most of the body, you know, the head is the biggest part. So what if most of the body comes out and now the head is again the, the, the last part? Yeah. So what you want to do in this instance, say you see the foot and the baby continues to deliver, you want to gently guide the rest of the body out. So you don't want to pull. You want to give that cervix is likely not completely dilated. You're right, because the head is the, the widest part. So you want to gently guide the baby out. You don't want to squeeze the abdomen. You want to guide the baby by the hips if you're to that point in the delivery. And then if you can, if you insert your finger fingers inside mom to help support the head and support the body you can stick your finger in the baby's mouth if you can reach and if mom is dilated enough and tuck the baby's chin towards the chest and that's going to decrease the diameter of the the ap diameter of the baby's head and hopefully facilitate delivery of the head and get the baby out okay and if it's stuck because from what i remember you know, normally the, the head is delivered first and then when that chest is exposed uh, to the environment, it stimulates the baby to start breathing. Is that kind of what happens or do I have that? Yeah, no, that's right. There's a whole lot of physiology that happens in that first breath when the baby's delivered normally. Realize that this baby that's breached with the head still inside has not yet taken that first breath and so they're still fully dependent on that placenta and don't be surprised if that body is a little bit blue or purple because they don't have the oxygen level that you would expect of a normally delivered infant yet um so if you're comfortable you can try to try to do that maneuver that's called the marisol maneuver where you put the finger in the mouth and try to pull the head out otherwise you can just stabilize the presenting parts and try to get them to the hospital Okay. As quickly as possible, but don't don't be surprised if they're a little bit cyanotic, um, just because they haven't taken that first breath yet, and um, they're still dependent on that placental blood flow. Okay, so that's how to handle a breach delivery, and there is one more emergency that you had on your PowerPoint slide, and that was a uterine rupture. Can you talk about that? Yes. Thankfully, this is a pretty rare. Um, life-threatening emergency for the baby and potentially for the mother. It's where the lower part of the uterine segment actually tears and the baby kind of delivers into the stomach, so not out into the real world. The biggest risk factor for this is a history of a previous cesarean section and the reason for that is that where uterine rupture typically occurs is that thin part, and that's where a previous scar might be from a C-section. And so if that scar hasn't had time to completely heal or isn't very strong yet, and there's another delivery with strong uterine contractions, that scar might start to tear and give way, and then uh, the uterus can rupture. So very, very painful for mom. Um, usually fatal for baby. Um, and requires a massive surgery um, to 
effects. So it's a pretty rough emergency. All right. Well, let's hope that all of them go. You said we had three earlier in the month. Yeah, three baby deliveries in the department uh, was Rescue 7, Rescue 12, and Rescue 15. Awesome. Are the most recent ones. And they're all smooth. And 7B, 12B, and I think I want to say 15B. It might be B-shift. All the babies. Healthy babies. <laughs> Healthy babies. They did great. Awesome. Well, good job out there. And hopefully they all go the smooth and easy route. So thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you on the next episode of the AFR podcast.